Shalom and welcome to the History of Judaism, the history and story of the Jews told by me, Yossi Silverman, licensed tour guide and educator. You are now listening to uh, podcast number 17. This is the podcast entitled Ezekiel in Tel Aviv. Uh, just a quick thing to mention. Uh, I'm Yossi Silverman, and as I said, the licensed tour guide. I've not been working as a tour guide recently. I will need your help to keep this podcast carrying on going. To understand how to do that, please stay until the end of the podcast. Yes. So, where did we leave off last time? Off last time, we uh, discussed the the start of the dispersal to outside of Judah, and of course, it started. Actually, as we discussed before the destruction with uh, the dispersal of a certain group of um, maybe mercenaries down to Egypt, uh, to the area of the island of Yeb or Elephantine, as Yeb is translated from Egypt. Go figure, really. Uh, this time we will be discussing the Babylonian exile, and most specifically about the Babylonian exile, we're going to be discussing um, how big an exile really was it, uh, the role of a character known as Ezekiel, uh, and also uh, uh, what archaeology do we have about it, and a little bit, how, do, how, do, how does our story continue on from here, what, what happens in this exile, what's the fate of these exiles? So firstly, I have to right a wrong. I think I've given the impression that what happened, the temple's destroyed, all these nobles and residents of Jerusalem are exiled from Jerusalem, uh, and uh, the rest, they, they, they get ruled by this guy called Gedaliah, the son of Ahikam. Then we discussed how there's like a big massacre of Gedaliah, the son of Ahikam, uh, in the area of Mitzpeh, and then everybody, like everybody runs away to Egypt. That's it. Empty, empty Judea. Um, so I would recommend if you can can speak Hebrew, if you can understand Hebrew, go to YouTube and look for the lectures and uh, the Tel Aviv University of a, a professor by the name of uh, Oded Lifshitz. Oded Lifshitz. So Oded Lifshitz is, a, is an academic, works for Tel Aviv University. He's really amazing. Uh, and he has this theory against this myth he calls, the myth of the empty land. He's against the empty land theory. Uh, by the way, we're going to get back to this empty land theory in about 2,000 years' time. The idea, the very idea that everybody left, uh, it's not entirely the case. So this is a basic praise of what he says. Yes. Jerusalem destroyed. Forget it. There's no Jerusalem. It's like wasted. We discussed the um, the the forensic record uh, of this great area of burning, uh, terrible uh, incidences of possible cannibalism or people at least eating the horses and things getting really terrible and then people being taken away, the survivors being taken away into captivity. We also discussed how how the the noble class. There's no more noble class left, or at least. A noble class of a certain milieu, a certain degree. Then we talked about, and then everybody else is ruled from Mitzpah, and then they all run away. Uh, 
due to this terrible massacre of the, the Prime Minister or the Governor, whatever you want to call him, Gedalia, the son of Ahikam. And of course, he's again, we discussed how he's a historical personality. There's most likely such a person in the, the House of Ahikam. That's a thing. Uh, Adid Lifshitz's idea is uh, if you look at the archaeological record, now get this, in the entirety of Judea, of Judah, sorry, in the entirety of Judah, we're not calling it Judea just yet, the entirety of Ju- Judah, you will see that there is settlement after 586 in, let me underline this, certain areas. So, a bit south of the area of, of uh, Hebron, of Hebron, in Hebrew of Hebron, uh, there were examples of certain places where there was a con- continuity of settlement and no area of destruction. In fact, if you go to Mitzpeh itself, Mitzpeh has no area of destruction from 586. And by the way, doesn't have an area of destruction from the time of the assassination of Gedaliah, the son of Achikam. So maybe maybe somebody carried on there a little bit even after that. I can't imagine who, but we, we don't precisely know the um, the details because the, the scripture, the Tanakh, focuses on this group of people who fled south to Egypt. So uh, giving the idea that the entire land was just was just uh, emptied, that that would be a bad thing. That's the first thing we've got to correct there. Uh, don't get me wrong that there certainly was an exile but but how much this affected things is a different thing and uh, just a side note you might have thought that I'd be talking about a group of people known as the the, the Samaritans as an area just north of Yehuda called the Shomron where certain northern tribes lived until they were carried away by the Assyrians and what happened to these northern tribes we can also discuss uh, we're not discussing the people who come to take their place. Uh, there's a big controversy who they are, called the Shomronim, the Samaritans, and their claim that they're the uh, they're the the Judans that stayed behind is something else we're going to discuss later. We're not talking about that. We're talking about something slightly different, just very slightly different. Okay, on to who was it who actually who got the got exiled. So the first of our, our dramatis personae, our dramatic characters who was exiled, I'm going to discuss is Zedekiah. So what happens to him? Uh, not a nice story. He's uh, chained in the, the local uh, governing area, a place called Ribla. If you look at the fun video I made with the kids where we discussed uh, the first conflict of, uh, of Babylonians entering the area, the, the, the people are taken away in chains to Ribla is a kind of idiom used with people being carried away in chains by the the Babylonian the Assyrians and later on the Babylonians. So uh, Ribla most likely is a place uh, around in the Syrian area near near the rivers there. Zedekiah is carried away with his children in chains to Ribla. There his his children are killed before his eyes. That's the last thing he saw, as we said. And then his eyes are put out, and that, that's where he dies. So that's the first uh, scriptural person who's taken away. Also, before that, a very important thing, as well as behavior, all the nobles are taken away to to uh, Babylon. Uh, most specifically, 
mentioned are that the nobles taken away in the first wave before the destruction of the temple in 586, meaning the king before Zedekiah, uh, Jehoachin, or Jehoachin, with the N at the end, not Jehoachim, and his all his family. Uh, what happens to them? Aha! Now we do actually know what happens to them because he is a historical character. We do actually have our mirrored, mirroring narrative of, as we've tried to discuss all the way through, we want a historical narrative mirroring the Bible. So we, we know what happens to Jehoachin. What happens to him? Well, he spends the rest of his life in Babylonian captivity. What's our evidence? Our evidence is a ration tablet, which I can actually even read to you. So what do we mean by ration tablet? So these people are, are royal hostages uh, and, they, you know, everybody wants to do the, the done thing. It's not being very British about this. Everyone wants to play, play the rules properly. And that means you've got to feed your captives. Uh, so we got some of the receipts. Yes, we actually have a, a cuneiform tablet of the receipts of a whole group of royal hostages. And I'm going to read a bit of that to you right now. So the, the ration tablet is a long list of different ethnicities and names and all the different produce that they received. And to one person, one king, whose name was, let me get this right, the name was something something maybe lacking or something like this uh, with his sons of the king of lahudu so that seems like a bit like something like yahudu yahud the year of judah they get some oil and then there's another tablet because it's actually a number of tablets then there's also one and a half uh sillers of oil for three carpenters from arvad so that's what they get and then there's uh, 11 and a half there's an amount of, of uh, oil for eight woodworkers from Byblos and then uh, uh, three and a half sillers of seven Greek craftsmen that's a half a siller a piece and that's a weight of oil they're getting then half a siller to the carpenter Nabutir I know hold with, wait with me wait with me and then here's the, the shocking piece of information ten sillers so they've all got this, this thing, 10 sillers of oil, certain weights of oil, measurements of oil, to a person called La Kuukinu. La Kuukinu. Sounds like Joachim, right? If somebody was saying Joachim in a slightly different language, the king of Yahud, his son. The king of Yahud's son, La Kuukinu, Joachim, who was the son of a king, also king. And then two and a half sillers for the five sons of the Judean king. And that, that's explicit. That's not like, oh, is it really? The no. It says explicitly a certain amount of oil for certain important captives. You see, they've got these important craftsmen and the king of Judea, who also gets this oil. And so this pretty much um, was discovered near the gate of Ishtar. It's now a... Uh, uh, kept in the Pergamon Museum in Berlin. Uh, it's written in cuneiform, and uh, it, it leads you to think, think you know, people don't didn't just weren't just taken into captive. What happens? They're taken care of. You know, it's, it's awfully bad form, and this is actually a historical thing, even going up to uh, to wars against the Crusaders with with Saladin. It's awfully bad form to kill kings. 
one simply doesn't do that. Uh, you have to provide for them. You have to give them food. Uh, if you watch the Kingdom of Heaven, I believe they even represent this with a, um, a Saladin keeping Guy de Lucien alive. The Crusader King, Guy de Lucien, uh, Saladin keeps him alive. And that's not a new thing. That's a fairly old thing, actually. And uh, that's that's what's what happens to these these kings and these nobles. They're taken to Babylon. Uh, they're kept alive and they're provided for. So we've got this group of people taken away captive into Babylon. Where, where do they settle? Of course, where do they settle? You can tell by the title. It's that they could settle in Tel Aviv. Yeah, yeah, I really seriously said Tel Aviv. Yes, I don't. Well, here's what I don't mean. I don't mean the nice city next to Jaffa uh, on the coast of Israel. It is mentioned in Ezekiel. So there's a prophet who goes with them called Ezekiel. And he settles, uh, he talks about how he settles in a place called Tel Aviv, which uh, we think might be a corruption of a kind of Akkadian name, Tal Abubu, meaning the, the Tel, the uh, destroyed mound of a flood. So next to the flood banks, and near near a river called Nachal Kvar, uh, the which we think is a corruption of something in, in mentioned again in Akkadian sources, a, a place called uh, Kavaru, the river Kavaru. So it's a, a, a tell next to a river called the Kvar in Hebrew, Nachal Kvar, uh, but in Akkadian uh, kind of channel system written about in Akkadian sources called. Uh, Kavaru, and we even think we know what that means. It's uh, there's a cognate, meaning a, a word in one language similar to other languages. Uh, the cognate, uh, the similar word in other languages in Arabic, there's a word kabir, uh, meaning great. So the great channel system, which well, makes sense. Uh, and um, there's even sources about uh, areas around the town called Nippur with suspiciously Jewish-sounding names. There's a, um, a, a town known as Al-Yahudu, the, the Jewish town, Jewtown, like Chinatown, I suppose. Um, Bit Abiram, the house of Abiram. Sounds a little bit like Abraham, Abraham, which is kind of in interesting because we don't have that many sources talking about Abraham. There's a little bit more su supposition there. We, we have locations even that these people lived. And we have uh, even later tablets talking about uh, Jewish uh, craftsmen, Jewish uh, um, administrators of the Babylonian Empire. Professor Oded Lifshitz does actually talk about how, according to his opinion, uh, the Jews in Babylon, and what we can actually actually really start talking about, not just Judahites, meaning people living in Judah, but they're, they're Jews, they're a new, a new ethnicity in the Babylonian Empire, uh, tend to be administrators, and he says tax collectors. And he even uh, isolated this as a kind of um, theme running throughout Jewish history. You know, since, since Jews are dispersed, they actually become the kind of uh, administrative class in many places, uh, tax collectors, even uh, as late as uh, the dispersal of Jews into the, the Polish kingdoms, uh, Jews were were tax collectors in the, the area of Poland. Uh, so he kind of connects it to that idea of, uh, of Jews being the money people. Um, we kind of don't shake that one off, do we? Even today, you think of Jews as being the money people. And it, it has some historical background, even at this early point. 
And uh, I'd like to actually even quote Ezekiel at this point. I'd like to quote Ezekiel because I really feel that he, that he is the prophet of the diaspora. He is the prophet of the first diaspora. And I'm going to read read his words in Hebrew because it, it really, to me, says it. Introduces the theme that we've been discussing. It was in the, the 30th year, on the, the f- and in the fifth day of the month, uh, and I am inside the exile. This is Ezekiel reporting from inside the exile. On the uh, the river Kvar, Kabul, and the heavens opened, and I saw the visions of God. On the fifth day of the month, that was the fifth year of the fifth year of the exile of Yehoiachin, who was the uh, the king before Zedekiah. So that really links us to to a um, a historical period. This is a uh, a continuation of the the idea of having a, a prophet both as a uh, an esoteric prophetic figure and actually a historical figure reporting on historical occurrences. And he starts to discuss completely new ideas in in Judaism. Uh, in the same paragraph I've been quoting, he discusses how he sees these appearances. Um, um, one thing which really hits home is uh, he talks about this appearance coming out of the sky with a uh, covered in fire and lightning. And it, the specific words are in, inside the fire and lightning, ke, the fire and lightning was like ke'ain ha-hashmal. Like an eye of the hashmal. What is the hashmal? Funnily enough, that's the word we use in modern Hebrew for electricity. Um, and, and there's later in later on in the chapter, it talks about fire and lightning, and you'd very much get this kind of electrical image of this uh, this this vision, this uh, heavenly creature uh, clothed in electricity. This is a completely new idea. Uh, and by the way, when we say electricity, that's exactly probably what we mean. Because as I as I understand it, there's a word like hashmal in, in Akkadian, uh, one of the languages spoken around that area, called uh, uh, elmesu or elmeshu, which is a little bit uh, like hashmal, elmeshu, hashmal. Uh, in fact, the linguists think there's some kind of connection there. And what is elmeshu? Elmeshu is amber. So ancient peoples knew that if you rubbed an amber rod with a cloth, you got static electricity. So we are actually probably talking about uh, a bit, uh, Ezekiel seeing a being coming out of their heavens clothed in electricity. Um this this again is an intensely Babylonian idea. Uh, if you see a lot lot of the uh, Babylonian creatures of uh, divine creatures that they uh, in their mythology they tend to have this kind of radiance around them, and the radiance was known uh, 
in in the in uh, I think Akkadian as Milamu, which is a kind of divine radiance. It also meant a kind of terror or awe, uh, which uh, Ezekiel also mentions. He he's the first prophet to talk, start talking about this kind of um, idea of Kvod uh, Hashem. The uh, uh, literally means the glory of God, but it talk he talks of as if it's a tangible physical thing, and that again is is a uh, uh, look. If you want to be very religious about it, you can say that he was speaking in the language of the Babylonians to describe reli- Jewish religious concepts that already existed. Fine, fair enough, do that if you want to, or you can say he was taking uh, Babylonian religious ideas. And we start to see the kind of slow change in the the way in which the religion is spoken about. Starting to use Babylonian concepts and Babylonian ideas. And, and many ideas actually come from Babylon. Uh, we can, probably in my mind, one of the most important things that comes out of this exile, which is a really short exile, we're talking uh, barely 70 years, if that, possibly for even 40 or 50 years, the language changes. People um, wrote in this kind of stylized, almost uh, hieroglyphic script in the area, not the same script that uh, you can read Hebrew in today in the Bible or in in prayer books, um, that they wrote in this kind of stylized hieroglyphic script. And nowadays, the script that we use is Aramaic script which is the language of Babylon. They actually change their entire language and to uh, write in the Babylonian script, and probably also likely that this was also the script of the later Persian Empire. So people, it was even to the extent that um, uh, religious texts were written in Aramaic now, not in uh, in this uh, stylized uh, script, which is, uh, is, is actually we know that as being either uh, there's, there's different names for it, uh, proto Canaanite or Canaanite script or proto Phoenician script or various various different names for it, uh, but it's basically the same thing. This funny stylized script. If you look on my website, you'll see examples of it. Yeah, scoutisrael.com. Um, it changes. It changes to this kind of block script, which is is the script of Aramaic in in Babylon. Um, and I think that that's huge because a, a language represents the consciousness of a people. It's what we talk to each other in. It's what people write notes to each other in. It's what people pray in. That changes. And that changes because this elite, and there's not even all the Judeans, this elite is living in Babylon. And also uh, Babylon takes over completely. It takes over the Middle East. It takes over the area of Judah. It takes over, uh, eventually gets conquered in itself by Persia, but they again carry on this uh, this Aramaic writing. And, and that, that's it from now on. That's how people write. And occasionally here and there you see the old script, which we're going to call the Canaanite script, pop up again. For example, in the Bar Kokhba revolt, which is very, very, 500, 600 years later, 700 years later in in the uh, the first century uh, CE when uh, Simon Bar Kokhba, Shimon Bar Kokhba rebels against the Roman Empire. 
they use this uh uh only they i think they in documents write god's name in the canaanite script and the rest of it like everybody else is writing in in aramaic script or greek or latin which is what people wrote then and then so that's a huge change in just the space of 40 50 years um another thing if it wasn't enough to say that the uh, the language changes the way people record time changes um before this uh people recorded months uh in various different ways the the most notable way was in a calendar found um near a little hill just outside jerusalem called tel gezer and they record the month in, in the following way uh you have asefa which is gathering uh, you have uh, a month called uh, Kor, called cold. You have a, a month. This is not an order. A month called called uh, Kayitz, called summer, or really the end of things. And you also have a, a, a month of gathering, a, a month to do with barley, and a, a month to do with measuring grain, and, and a, a, a month of of the end of Kates. Um, this is from the, the, the one possibility from the Gezer calendar. Also, just months got names in terms of, of numbers in the Bible. The first month, second month, third month. That's the kind of thing. If you, if you read the Bible, that's another impression you get of the names of months. But after this point, the months actually get the names of Babylonian months. So, for example, uh, the month that uh, passed recently was the month of Elul. Uh, Elul, which is just the name of a month. Uh, the month I'm in at the moment actually is Tevet, which is I think from the, the Akkadian word Tebetum, meaning uh, a muddy month. And there's even months with the names of the names of uh, fertility gods, like uh, Tammuz. Tammuz was as uh, a Babylonian fertility gods. So even the way they recorded time became different. The other thing. Very important birth of something. If we're going to focus on what what's born, is uh, this idea of longing to return to Jerusalem, and let's not forget this is longing and returning to Jerusalem, uh, even though people might be living there anyway. Because we said that the 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 land is not is not left empty. Uh, it's still populated, but there's one. What's the main difference? Is no rule. It, it will be a theme from now for the rest of Jewish history that it is not enough for Jews just to live in the Holy Land. They have to be controlling their own destiny. Yes, I'm sure there's people living in the South Hebron Hills, uh, and I'm sure there's people living uh, scattered around the area that was was Judah. And yes, they're under Babylonian control now, and that's not what they want. They want Jewish control. They want to have a temple. They want to have um, uh, kings and princes. And it reminds me of um, uh, a video I produced recently talking of a completely different subject about the, con the idea of why Jews don't accept Jesus. And you can look that on my YouTube channel. There's a shameless plug for my YouTube channel. Uh, one of the reasons is is that the, a Messiah has to bring uh, rule for Jews in the land of Israel, rule by Jews and for Jews, 
Jewish self-determination in the land of Israel. Uh, that's, that's, uh, that's, 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 I think, especially evident in the writings of Ezekiel. And then also you have coupled with that the writings of uh, the earlier prophets of Isaiah, Yeshayahu, who talks about world peace. So, so that's, that's, I think, the, 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 the idea of the rebirth of the nation. And to, to express that best, I think nothing expressed that best as the following prophecy, again, of Ezekiel, that the prophet of the Babylonian exile is what we're going to call him. So he says, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read this in Hebrew and English again. Haita alai yad Hashem. And it was on me, the hand of God was on me. Viyotzi eni beruach Hashem. And you took me out with the uh, with the the spirit of God. The spirit of God took me out. And he put me in a valley, well, the valley. And it was filled with bones. The heavy rainy alehem saviv saviv. And he, this uh, Holy Spirit causes me to pass around the bones again and again. And they were. Very, very many on the uh, the face of this valley. Vehine yeveshotmod, and they were very dry. Vayoma elai, and God said to me, Ben Adam, son of man. That's by the way the classic way that Ezekiel describes himself as Ben Adam, son of man. And this becomes in he- modern Hebrew the ne- the word human, but really it's an elevated thing. It re- refers to a person and their personal connection with God. As a side note, Christians take this to mean son of God. This is not evident in Ezekiel at all. It very much means son of man, son of a man, born of a woman. You're this lowly person connecting with the divine. So, Vayome Eli said to me, Ben Adam, son of man, can you cause these uh, bones to live? And he said, Meaning this heavenly uh, spirit. But Omar, and I answered, Adonai, my my Lord, uh, Elohim, the uh, the God, Atayadata, you know. Vayome Eli, and he said to me, Hinabe Allah prophesy. Go into a prophetic state on these bones. And I called out to the bones and I said, Bones, hear the word of God. So says the word of, uh, of, 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 the, of the Lord God to these bones. Behold, I am bringing unto you a spirit and you shall live. And I shall put on you sinew. And I shall put on you meat. Or, and I will wrap around you skin. And I will give you a spirit. And you will come together and know that there is one God. And then he talks about how all the bones join together. Uh, like that, uh, the old uh, African-American spiritual, you know, the leg bones connected to the thigh bone and all of that. And they get up and they move around. What's happening here? This, the bones 
are supposed to be the Jewish people. The Jewish people without self-determination in their land are as if they are a valley of dry bones. And in in order for them to regain their corporeal form and in order for them to move again they have to be given the spirit of God so this is obviously a very religious text not just a nationalistic text religious yes they must recognize God they must join to the to, to God and then they will be able to get up and move around in their land they'll be get to come back and uh, this is the the prophecy of the dry bones and this is the beginning of a whole set of literatures and narratives running throughout Jewish history of Jews returning to their land and and there's I think one of the biggest things which is born throughout uh, through the uh, Babylonian captivity and who, who, why is, why is Ezekiel bothering to say this? It's only 40, 50 years to wait. No, well, do, do all the people listen in Babylon? Do they all follow, follow God and come back to their land? No, they really don't. And in fact, there is still a Jewish community in Iraq today. The area of Babylon, Iraq, still Jews there. Uh, just to, just to show you that. That prophets really only prophesy against uh, about things people aren't necessarily going to even do. But that that is uh, the create. You could probably say that the creation of Tel Aviv, uh, the inspiration to create a new state, uh, comes from the ancient Tel Aviv, where Ezekiel lived, and that's the. Uh, one of the things we can learn from the Babylonian captivity. Before we wrap up, I said I was going to mention how things were going along with me recently. So very recently, good news, I have been uh, given a new job in working in Jewish education. I've been very, very lucky. Most of my friends, friend tour guides are out of work still and uh, don't have much state support. They have to go and earn a living. I've already been doing that working in uh, archaeology and working in, in, in a kindergarten uh, saying that at the present time of this recording I have not started my job yet very much struggling to get by so if you want to support this podcast the best thing you can do uh, is to go to co-fi.com slash Israel and uh, contribute towards the podcast and that will contribute both towards the running cost of the podcast. It's not free. And also the uh, the actual running cost in that I need to give up some time to actually make the podcast. Uh, and also, you can go to my patreon.com uh, slash again, Gout Israel. And you can give a more uh, regular contribution in that sense. And as this is the corona period, and I'm expecting a lot of you people listening are in similar, similar situations to me, uh, if you can't do that, go right now to wherever you're listening to this and subscribe, be it iTunes, SoundCloud, whatever. And also, as well as doing that, I do insist you go to youtube.com and search for Scout Israel, the Scout Israel channel, and that as well. Log on, subscribe, uh, so I can also 
monetize in that sense. That would help me greatly because, again, I've still got to make it up to the time when my new job starts. And even after then, uh, I, I would like very much to carry on podcasting. But the, the only way that can happen is if I if it's worth it and I receive contributions. I very much enjoy the podcasting. It's going to but it takes up a lot up a lot of my time and I need your support. Uh, also, don't forget support can be in words. You can leave comments. Let's have a discussion about this. Let's hear what you think. Thank you very much for listening. You have been listening to the History and Story of the Jews. Uh, and next time we are going to discuss the Persians and the return to Judah. Thank you.